Hey everyone, welcome to the Cyber Life Podcast. This is Ken Underhill, your host. I want to bring on a special guest in this episode. Uh, filming in March, we're, uh, we're currently going through the coronavirus, um, all the pandemic and stuff uh, that's being perpetuated by the media. So I wanted to bring someone on, a special health expert, to sort of cut through all that noise and give us the real scoop on what we should be doing or not be doing. So enjoy, and Eric Taylor, a nurse practitioner, is up next. Hey everyone, welcome to the Cyber Life Podcast. My name is Ken Underhill, your host. In today's episode, I have a special guest, Eric Taylor of Priority Mail here in Houston, Texas. He's a health expert, and so I wanted to bring him on. He's a family nurse practitioner. Uh, welcome first, Eric. I know you're a busy guy, so thanks for taking the time to share some information with the audience, uh, specifically around the coronavirus. Uh, but do you mind just kind of sharing a little bit about your background, like how'd you get into nursing? How'd you end up at the graduate level of a nurse practitioner? Um, do you mind just sharing your story a little bit? Great, Ken. First, thanks for the welcome uh, and the invite, man. I really appreciate you sharing, uh, wanting me to share this information with your following. And uh, this is great what you're doing, and I hope that this information that we're going to share today is going to help those that uh, follow you closely. So, uh, me, uh, I'm how I became a nurse. So, I'm, I'm from originally from Alabama. I was a pretty good football player in high school. Um, thought I was going to be the next whatever on the next level. And unfortunately, I had a concussion my senior year in high school that changed my path as far as football. I was able to uh, see what a nurse practitioner did during my recovery from my concussion, and I really liked what she was doing. And from that, that kind of sparked an interest in me to want to do something in nursing. Also, my uncle was in the military. He was a nurse at the time. And he had goals of becoming a nurse practitioner as well. And he uh, definitely was uh, one that I looked up to as well. My parents were both uh, very encouraging. Uh, neither one of them work in nursing, but they were very encouraging on what I wanted to do. And I knew that I had, there was something in me about helping people. And I felt like nursing would be a great opportunity for me to help others and make an honest living where I could take care of myself and my family. So I started nursing school right out of high school. And, you know, of course, I'm the jock in the classroom and I, I'm, I look all out of place because I shouldn't have <laughs> really shouldn't have been there. You know, I'm here with all these young, you know, teenage. We're all the same age, but I'm a, like a physical specimen compared to them. And they're like, why is he here? So always was the oddball out. But anyway, uh, I did what I needed to do, get through nursing school, uh, started working in the ICU. That's really my background. And I, in that time in the ICU, I saw a lot of death, um, especially with men. And that really struck a chord in me as to why are men dying prematurely? And I'm talking young men in their late 30s, early 40s, you know, the prime of their life. And I would see them die and their beautiful families come to the bedside. And I kept asking myself, why is this happening? And what can I do about it? You know, this went over the course of, you know, about five to six years. And then I realized about 10 years into the, almost 10 years into the profession, it was about year eight. I said, you know, I, I can do something about this. Let me go and become a nurse practitioner. And I recall the interaction I had with a young lady uh, during my concussion. And then I went to nurse practitioner school and, and I've, been a nurse, I've been a nurse for a total of 22 years and an NP for the last 11 of those years. And then that time, I felt like I could do more to help save the lives of men. Because what I saw real, really early in my career is that women take better care of themselves and they end up taking care of the kids and then they end up taking care of our stubborn behinds. And I wanted to provide a, a better platform for men to access care with someone that could relate to them, being a man myself, and understand the things that we as men go through and kind of help them along the way on their journey. So I'm here to motivate men, educate men, and help them navigate that wellness journey. That's, why, that's where Priority Mail came from, and that's why I'm here today. 
Awesome. You know, and again, just, just thanks for, uh, for hopping in here. Um, great story, by the way. So yes, I want to kind of focus this episode on the coronavirus. There's just so much information being inundated through social media, media outlets, et cetera, just overwhelming for people. And I just want to cut through all that noise and bring it, bring <laughs> you on. And cause you're a real talker, you're a straight shooter like me. Let's just, yes, sir. Let's just talk about it. Like I see all these photos, people are trying to make you feel bad, right? They got the old person in front of the toilet paper aisle that's empty and, you know, save it for the old man, right? Come on. Who needs to wipe themselves? We'll we'll skip that part. (laughs) But but honestly, what should people be doing right now? Like, should they be quarantining themselves inside their house? And and I'll kind of split that into sort of two questions, right? Should Mm -hmm. healthy people be worried about quarantining themselves just inside and not going outside and exercising and doing those things. And then on the flip side of that, should the elderly or the vulnerable immune system people be quarantining themselves inside? Um, and then we'll just kind of go from there. You feel free to okay. share. Gotcha. Oh, great question, Ken. So the Corona, the Corona apocalypse is what I'm calling it is here. Okay. And when you think about the media and how they are pushing uh, certain things. If you look at the media, they'll, you'll think the sky's falling, the ground is crumbling, and the world is going to end tomorrow because they're only giving up. They're only giving death updates. If you pay particular attention to what they're saying, they're only giving you death updates. So I, what I like to do first, let's dive right into the numbers. So the flu is going to kill, projected to kill 50,000 people alone this year. In, tw- in flu season of 2018 to 2019, the flu killed a little right at 35,000 people and is on track to do that and more this year. And if you look at the situation report, which I look at daily because it's updated every day at 10 a.m., the situation report gives you the current number of coronavirus um, positive tests globally. So far, about 100, and this number is probably climbing as we speak, 125,000, about 49 or 55 patients or so last time I checked have tested positive globally for coronavirus. Of that 125,000, a little right at 4,600 have died. If you count the 50 that just died here in America, it may be 4,650. 4,650 people out of 125,000 people have died. You do the math. One plus one is, is two, right? That's not, those are not bad odds when you look at the percentage. When you look at that then, that tells me that 80 plus percent, almost probably 85, 86% of the people that tested positive for for Corona are still alive today. But the media is only talking about those that have died. Now, let's segue into the deaths. The deaths are those that are vulnerable. And uh, unfortunately, as we get older, our immune systems are not as robust and they don't uh, bounce back as well as they did in our youth. So they are really vulnerable to this virus. And, uh, And if you've seen the reports, here in America, the, the uh, nursing home in uh, was it Washington State, Seattle area, most of the people that died were infirm, confined to that environment, and had multiple underlying conditions that they really didn't talk about, but we, I know what was happening in that environment. Yes, that places them at higher risk. So for the healthy person, Ken, you and I, and probably most of your listeners, if you're healthy, you're eating right, you're doing some kind of exercise, if you have chronic conditions, no matter what they are, they're pretty much managed medically, you are going to be fine. If your immune system is intact, you are going to be fine. And if you got the flu shot, that does protect you from coronavirus, but at least protects you from the seasonal flu because that's still out there. But if you don't have any problems with your immune system, you have nothing to worry about. So with that said, you do not need to voluntarily put yourself on house arrest. 
You do not need to quarantine yourself unless, unless you have a known contact with someone with the virus, whether it be by travel by, or by occupation. And I would encourage you to carry on your normal daily activities with some being, being uh, cognizant of, of social distancing. You know, I would say no more hugs, no more handshakes, no kissing. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate for the single men and the single women out there. You know, you really <laughs> got to be careful now. <laughs> but, but if you're out, if you still have errands to run, you got that dry cleaning to pick up, you got, you want to go to the gym, you, you want to go, whatever it is you want to do. If you're healthy, I would say do that, but also be mindful of the social distancing that is recommended. There's no need. CDC does not recommend you wear a mask. And you're probably going to see people out with a mask on and gloves and a few other things, and they're not really helping themselves. They're just adding to the anxiety that already exists. So healthy people, not, not unless you have a confirmed contact that suggests that you need to self-quarantine for 14 days. Outside of that, carry on. However, if you are elderly, and I would say, you know, elderly is getting, the number is getting a little younger. They're saying anywhere between 55 and 60 with chronic diseases. But even then, if you're healthy at that age group, you don't have much to worry about. But if you are at that age and you have chronic conditions like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD, or you have congestive heart failure, CHF, uncontrolled diabetes, or you happen to be undergoing cancer treatment, which again, kills your immune system, or you have an immune disease, autoimmune or just an immune disease that affects your immune system. You, and if you're pregnant, if you happen to be pregnant, those people are at high risk for the virus. And the outcomes from that, uh, in that particular category of people is actually unfortunately not that good, okay? So I would say for the elderly that have chronic conditions that are not well controlled, that are concerned about getting this virus, you would, I would be extremely cautious in my, my outings. I would be extremely cautious in my contacts uh, with people that I don't know. And even with my family, you know, they've traveled a lot or they're coming back from somewhere, I'm not sure. You, need, you really need to practice the social distancing because if you get it and you're in that category, the outcomes are really not in your favor. So, but that again, is gonna be a case by case basis. And, you know, but people are now again, just, you know, really running with this thing and they really haven't put a lot of thought into it. And I think if people would sit down and look at the numbers, Ken, just look at the numbers for what they are. The math, there's always a mathematical solution to what's going on. But the fear and panic that's being pushed now, uh, I wish they would stop it. And I wish people would just stop and think about what's happening. When we're, when we're stressed and when we're, when we're drunk, we don't make good decisions. Would you agree, Ken? <laughs> most of your, <laughs> well, from experience, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, okay, <laughs> from experience. Most of, you, most of your followers will probably say that as well. Yeah. So, but people are so stressed, man, and they're getting this information and they're just taking it and running with it. No one is processing it. And, you know, they're in line buying toilet paper for what? If the, if the shit, excuse my language, if the shit hit the fan, Ken, we don't care about toilet paper. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> Who cares about toilet paper? I mean, I can see getting water. But it's my understanding that commerce will still continue because uh, the trucks are still rolling. They haven't stopped that. Um, mm -hmm. And they're stocking shelves, but they can't keep up with the demand right now. You know, buying Clorox and buying wipes, yes, those are things that I think are logical and reasonable at this time because you want to sanitize your environment as much as you possibly can. But again, keep in mind, you can't live in a sterile environment. This world is not sterile, okay? And our immune system is there to help 
deal with some of those things that may crop up. So I hope that kind of answered that, that, those questions, Kim. No, it absolutely did. And so kind of talking about the people both with compromised immune systems, as well as the people that are generally healthier out there, are there specific foods that, and, and, and by this, I'm asking the questions, but please, by all means, don't go out there and like, you know, tear up the grocery store and get all those, these items off the shelf and, yeah. and not leave any for anyone else. But are there any specific foods that you would recommend, citrus fruits, certain juices, supplements, yeah. anything that somebody with kind of a weaker immune system out there could be taking during this time that could, could kind of not necessarily prevent them from, from catching something, but just help boost their immune system a little bit so that way they're less likely to feel the effects of it? Well, Ken, you know, I always encourage patients to eat a diet that is culturally specific to them and that they're familiar with and everything in moderation along with a balanced lifestyle. Now, in, in times like this, there's a lot of information out there that is somewhat accurate, but not really scientifically proven uh, about vitamin C. Uh, they say more vitamin C is actually going to help your immune system. I, I, there's not enough science to say for sure that it does, but it doesn't hurt. I will say this, it will not hurt you. Uh, you can never get enough vitamin C and your, your other vitamins, E, D, and uh, K. It's all the other vitamins that you can get naturally in your diet. I would encourage you to make sure your diet is balanced with those vitamins. And if not, take a really good supplement, a vitamin. Some of the over-the-counter vitamins are not as good and they don't really give you that um, the biochemical uh, elements that you need from those particular vitamin classes. But again, it depends on you the individual. How much money do you really want to spend? But it's from a, from a diet standpoint right now, uh, fruits and vegetables, eating clean as best as you can, you know, leaner cuts of meat, more uh, fish, chicken, uh, leaner cuts of beef and pork, cook, cook, uh, cook your meats like, I would say grill, uh, bake, bake, grill or crock pot before you fry. Uh, more more uh, roughage on your, your plate. So meaning more of the fruits and vegetables that are in season. And again, if you really put your plate like you're supposed to be, which most of us don't, I give most of my patients recommendations to use their fist as a barometer. So ball, uh, you make a fist, and unless you have incredible Hulk fists, <laughs> you know, you're, you're not going to have large portions. So if you use your fist to eat a balanced diet of a protein, vegetables, and a fruit, and maybe, you know, a, a good choice of a bread, whether wheat or something like that, and then you, you put those portions based on your fish size on your plate. Don't let them touch and don't get seconds. And try not to eat late in the evening or late at night and crash and burn. That'll be good overall for your diet. Now, as far as some of the foods that are not good, it's been known for many years that a lot of dairy products are inflammatory. They cause an inflammatory response in the GI tract. So some people have lactose intolerance and they just cannot tolerate any kind of dairy product whatsoever. Uh, and then some others just they may drink too much of it or consume too much of it. And I'm, the negative impacts are not very clear, but we, knew, we do know that some dairy products can cause an inflammatory response. Um, but it's not to say that you shouldn't have it. I would just say everything in, in moderation. Um, alcohol, again, in moderation. Recommended allowance for men is two drinks per day. For women, is one drink per day. If you smoke, cut back. If you vape, stop. Um, really? And that's really about it. But if you're looking for a specific diet, Ken, there's really not a checklist of, hey, go pick this up, go get this uh, four, 14 ounces of this and two pounds of this. It's really not that. A lot of it boils down to what is your palate accustomed to? What are you, what is culturally specific to you? And if you can find that, 
consume it in moderation with reasonable, you know, uh, portion sizes. That's what I would really recommend for most people. And then hydration is the other key. Half of your body weight, and you, you pick, you, you just pick 200 pounds. If you weigh 200 pounds, at least 100 ounces of fluids, preferably should be water. Most people don't do it. Right. Let's I, be real. I'm glad you said that because someone out there is probably like, oh, that could be liquor. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Liquor Preferably is water. water. <laughs> yeah. Alcohol is dehydrating. So no, no, but, but half of, no matter what your weight is, divide your weight in half and to be considered medically adequately hydrated, you need to drink half of your body weight in ounces, preferably in water or fluids that you can see through like tea, uh, clear color sodas, lemonade, but prefer preferably water still. But the more you can drink, the better, because it's better for your overall metabolic function, all your body's internal functions at a cellular level. Uh, again, it's good for your kidneys. It's good for your skin. It makes you look youthful. Uh, it's good for bowel movements as well. Um, but the less you drink, the more challenges you have with those internal processes. So, And that's really the key. And if you think about it, Ken, if it really hits the fan and you got all kind of food at home, but you don't have hydration, guess what? You could only survive possibly 72 hours without consuming any fluids before your body shuts down. But you could likely go two weeks without eating anything and still survive. Most people don't understand that. Absolutely. So there, one of the things selling out in stores as well is like hand sanitizer. Um, you kind of mentioned cleaning products and stuff, but let's just focus on the hand sanitizer for a minute. Mm -hmm. Is there, let's say I was somebody and I had two options and option one is using hand sanitizer. Option two is washing my hands properly. Which one would you pick? Um, I will wash my hands. I will wash my hands for a minimum of 20 seconds. And during that time, I want to sing either happy birthday in my head, or I want to sing my ABCs because in that time you have created enough fix, uh, friction with rubbing of your hands and, and you, you know, cleaning under your nails, uh, that you have allowed the antiseptic techniques, uh, uh, the antiseptic properties, I'm sorry, antiseptic properties of that soap to do what it's supposed to do and neutralize the bacteria and viruses that are on your hands. However, if you don't have immediate access to a, a water uh, a facility where there's a sink and soap, sanitizer will do, but you need to wash your hands right away. You know, the sanitizer is not like you can, so I would say if you had three encounters and each encounter you only use a sanitizer, it's gonna help. But keep in mind, there's only 70% of alcohol in that sanitizer, okay? After, after a few uh, squirts of that and rubbing that in your hands together, the virus or the bacteria had a potential to, to not, you know, really, really be neutralized. But you cannot avoid that with washing your hands. That's why it's always better if you can wash your hands first. Wash your hands first. Okay, great. So any other advice you have for people out there? And we covered several things, right? The nutrition aspect, and we've kind uh -huh. of cut through a lot of the, the media hype. Uh, any other advice for people out there as we're sort of going through this, any other preparation type of stuff? Because this is probably going to, this hysteria that, that the media is pr uh, propagating is probably going to be out there for, <laughs> looks like a few more weeks, right? I see schools canceling. Oh. So anything that, that people can sort of do in the interim, like should they be starting to stock up on some supplies, just is sort of a just in case type of thing? Should they not do that? Like any, any recommendations on, on any, anything else they should be doing? Any other actions they should be taking? Sure, Ken. Um, yeah, this hysteria is going to go on for a while. And actually, Ken, is going to get worse, a lot worse before it gets better. If you paid attention to the media, um, what's, what's coming next? And I said this on my uh, 
my, my platform several times. What's coming next is going to be mandatory quarantine, quarantine, and they're getting very close to that. So in the event that that is likely going to happen, what you need to do is the first thing is I would secure, everybody should have an emergency preparedness plan in place for their family, whether it is a, a public health threat, whether it is a natural man-made man disaster or natural disaster. You should have an emergency preparedness plan in place, especially living here in Houston in the Gulf, where you, should, you could hunker down and take care of your family for at least five to seven days, possibly 14 days. So what I would encourage people to do is if you can, try to make sure you have enough uh, hydration liquid in your home to you know, keep everybody adequately hydrated for at least a week, possibly two, but at, at minimum, you need a week's worth of water or whatever it is you consume for you and your family. Next thing is, <clears throat> I probably would have on hand uh, foods that, are, that can store, that don't necessarily require refrigeration because let's say, let's say worst case scenario, the grid goes down. If the grid goes down, you don't have any electricity. So you're gonna need to have foods that you can access that will not spoil easily, uh, that you can store and, and carry on the go if need be, uh, being like tuna fish, uh, beans, you know, uh, canned corn and, and things of that nature. So I would have enough canned goods <clears throat> on hand to maybe provide at least two meals a day to those that are, you know, in my that I'm responsible for in my family. Um, Clothing, you should have clean clothing, at least, you know, a week's worth of that. If you're on chronic uh, medications for chronic conditions, you need to make sure you have enough of that. Because again, if they mandatory quarantine us and the grid goes down, you're not going to be able to get out to go get those things because they won't be available. So those would be the first things that I would consider. Now, tissue, again, people are buying up tissue left and right. I mean, yes, tissue is needed, but that is a low uh, priority on the list when it comes to survival. Um, I probably would get some candles. I probably would also get some batteries. Again, this is just in case the grid goes down. But based on you know preliminary reports, all of that's going to be okay. But we just never know where this is going because you know I'm just I'm watching what's happening, and I do have some concerns. And hey, hopefully it doesn't get to that worst case scenario again. But <coughs> Excuse me. Well, the other thing I would recommend is if you can, again, if you can telework and if you have the ability to do so, if you're sick, stay home, you could save a life or save many lives because you don't know if you've been exposed and you don't want to willingly uh, take this and knowingly take this to work and get it to give it to your coworkers. So stay home if you're sick, avoid close contacts, try to keep a proximity barrier of about six feet from people. If someone is obviously sick, hey, avoid them. Any, uh, any travel, let's say for instance, you have some leisure travel, I probably would reconsider that at this point. And even if you have a significant event coming up that you wanna celebrate that requires you to travel there, if you're gonna purchase those travel tickets right now, which they're probably cheap, I would purchase travel insurance just in case. So if, you, if this is still going on in May or June or July, you, can get, you, know, you won't have any trouble uh, getting your money back or rescheduling. Now, as far as wearing a mask, or trying to purchase a mask. If you're not sick, you don't need a mask, okay? Uh, so don't feel like you need to uh, go and pay that jacked up price because people are price gouging out there <laughs> oh, now. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> you know, those <laughs> things because people feel like it helps. But I'm gonna be honest with you. The common mask that most people are wearing, it barely protects you from the pollen in the air right now. It's not gonna protect you from coronavirus. So I hope people know that. And I shared a post on my platform today about that and broke down the different masks. 
So the mask that really protects you that most people don't have access to unless you're in the healthcare environment is the N95 mask. Um, those are the masks that healthcare providers, paramedics, EMS, physicians, nurses, all the people in the healthcare, if you come in and you're sick, that's the mask that we will have on as we provide your care. But the mask that we provide you to kind of isolate you that most people can have access to, that mask does not protect you from coronavirus. So people should know that. Uh, and clean and touch um, the touch points in your home. We know that coronavirus can live as, as short as five days and up to about nine to 10 days on commonly touched surfaces. So if you're out and about, I don't want people to think about this. You know, the door handle, the buggy, uh, the, the little buggy handle that you grab, uh, elevator buttons, escalator rails, um, paying at the pump, you know, you put your pin number in, paying in the grocery store where you put your pin number in. When's the last time you saw somebody wipe any of that stuff down? They don't. So if the virus, somebody coughed in their hand and put their four-digit pin into that to pay for gas or to pay for those groceries, guess what? Corona's still there. And you come right along behind them, get your groceries or whatever you're buying, and then you put your pin number in and boom, there it is. And try not to touch your face, your eyes, you know, bite your nails. But people don't even think about these things because we do it all the time. And I see them, they just grab the buggy, don't wipe it down. And they're in the store, they're picking their nose, playing in their ear, rubbing their eye, biting their nails. And you just inoculated yourself with whatever the person or persons before you had on their hands as they, you know, push that buggy around the store. And uh, the other thing too, if you can get bleach, I would get some bleach because if uh, we run out of uh, cleaning supplies, you can make your own uh, bleach at home, you know, your cleaning supplies at home. So right now, and this is straight from the CDC, five tablespoons uh, of bleach in a gallon of water makes a really good cleaning solution. And also four teaspoons of bleach in a quart of water as was recommended from a dilution standpoint where you'll have a nice household cleaning product that you can clean and kill uh, any bacteria or viruses that are in your home. And if you happen to want to make your own uh, alcohol-based solution, it <coughs> excuse me, my allergies acting up, y'all. I'm sorry. I was about to ask, you got corona? Yeah. No, 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 no corona, my brother. No corona. Yeah, but no, my allergies are acting up. <laughs> I'm on the front lines, but no corona. But uh, you would need a 70% alcohol solution to um, try to clean that. Now, there's one thing that's out there I know people paid attention uh, there is something going around on social media out here in the Facebook streets and the Instagram streets talking about you can use vodka and a few other things to make an antiseptic. You know, back back in the way back in the days when we didn't really have medicine like we have now, they did use that uh, to make the patient sedated and also to cleanse the wounds. But that doesn't work today. So drinking alcohol, which most of the times is at 40 percent, I believe. Uh, is not effective in uh, using to sanitize or to sterilize an environment. So please don't think because you have a fully stocked bar of absolute at home that you are okay in the event that something like this happens because it's not going <laughs> to work. <laughs> and outside of that, at the end of the day, Kim, wash your hands. I would say wash your hands at least once an hour, at least once every hour, uh, especially if you, so think about it, if you uh, cut hair, you're a barber or stylist, you, people come, people bring it to you. If you uh, are cashier and you're exchanging money, money is literally the, mo the dirtiest thing out there. Um, if you are a cabbie or a valet, uh, any kind of service industry, like if you work at Macy's or Walmart, big box stores like Sam's and Costco, where you come into contact with commonly touched surfaces for people from all walks of life, you need to wash your hands at least every once thoroughly every hour. 
Um, and then again, just try to avoid people if they're sick, man. That's really the best tips right now. And then pay attention to your local authorities. Listen to what they're saying. Don't panic. Try not to panic, okay? Again, Corona apocalypse is here. It's not going anywhere anytime soon, but the world is not ending. And I gave you the numbers here earlier. If you do the math, the odds of most people that are healthy surviving are very high. It's 80 plus percent. And I'll take a B, Ken. That's passing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll take a B in that uh, situation. Uh, yes, sir. So, yeah, listen, Eric, that was, that was a lot of great information. I um, definitely appreciate you hopping on and, and really just cutting sure. through a lot of that noise, right? Yes, sir. Uh, to, to give the real information to people. Um, and coming from you, because uh, I'm obviously, my nursing license is retired, so it gives a little more weight <laughs> for someone that has an active healthcare license gotcha. to get that information. So again, just want to thank you for uh, jumping on the podcast, and hopefully the listeners out there find this information valuable. Sure, man. I appreciate the opportunity again. Thanks for what you're doing, Ken, and uh, keep up the great work, my brother. Absolutely.